You're laughing already. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Hello and welcome to What the Factual. I'm Jill Smith. I'm Pete Moore. Thank you for joining us. So we're having a light-hearted look into historical stories uh, everyone thinks that they know, um, but actually probably don't have all the facts for. Yeah, like everyone likes a nice story, but is it factual? That's what we want to know. So, and will that ruin the story? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But you'll know the real fact that happened. We hope to get a nice story out of what actually happened. There's always not a good story. the legend. Legend or myth? Myth. If you will. Okay. And why, I hear you ask, are we, are we doing this podcast? What brings us here today? What brings you to us today? I'm waiting for the answer to that. That I was asking you, Pete. <laughs> uh, I, well, for me, it's because we, the number of times we've been sat in a pub or a restaurant and having <laughs> a drink, and then I'll just go, oh yeah, but the, the, there's that thing in history. And you'll go, yeah, but that's not actually what happened. And I go, how on earth do you have all the answers to that? And you go, because I read. And I go, well, I don't, so you win. <laughs> Well, that's pretty I, much how it starts. That is how <laughs> that is how it started. And in my my defence, um, you don't have to defend I, reading. That's <laughs> not how this. I'm not having a go at you reading. Well, my defence. I just hold my hands I, up and say I don't. I basically, I did my literature degree, and it turns out when you get to uni and you do literature, it's a lot about history, mm. and you have to know the context of the books. You have to know why they're important in the grand scheme of time and all the rest of it. And it turns out that I love history. And I didn't know that before because I didn't like it at school. So now any kind That's a nod of... to your history teacher. <laughs> yeah. Right Sorry, there. Mrs. Bowie. Um her. <laughs> David's mum. Yeah, that's what she did when right. she wasn't, you know, being his mum. But yeah, so I basically got really into my history. And because I love a story, I just remembered all these weird and wonderful historical facts. And I actually sometimes think that the fact can be better than the story we remember sometimes. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes it's grim, I won't lie. History can be dark. But <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, the one, it's not, obviously we're not covering it today, but one of the uh, chats that we had was about Henry VIII. And I was just like, how do you know all that stuff about? I mean, we'll come to that. that a that's going to be but a I was, super fun episode in itself. I barely remember the names of them or... I know there was yeah. six wives, but... But that's a very good example because it's one of those things that we learn at school. We don't learn it very accurately and... Is it because it's not nice telling children how dark that whole era was, maybe? No, but I think it's very important. And Did I also think you learn more from... Like, nothing, nothing's... Ever, in, in my opinion, nothing's ever black or white. There's a lovely grey area mm -hmm. in that grey area. You have all this human nature and why people do certain things and not. And it doesn't make the most straightforward story, which is probably how we end up with these confused facts. So what you're saying is there is nuance. Yes, about the nuance. Henry VIII murdering most of his wives. Uh, they might not be good nuances, but they're okay. nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he had some sort of reason to do it. We will get on to Henry VIII. We will get on to All in good that time. Is, yeah, today, a bit previous. Today, we're diving in with the really light-hearted subject of World War One. 
today we're talking about the Christmas football match held in No Man's Land in December 1914. Uh, basically, I've learned all my history from the likes of Blackadder and Bill and Ted. So my take on this was, I love that the song by the farm all together now. It's all about the, the fact that they all stopped fighting on Christmas Day and had a game of football, England v Germany. So just, this is neither here nor there, but I had no idea that that song was about that. I knew it was a Christmas song. What? And I knew it was... It's not a Christmas song, is it? Is it? I thought it was a Christmas song. Well, it's just, I think it was released in 1990, I know that, and it might have been late-ish. Might have been a Christmas song, but it is about the Christmas truce football match. Because he says, in no man's land, that's the lyrics. I had no We'll come back to the farm. (laughs) I mean, the band, the farm. We don't work on a farm. Shame though. Yeah. So Jill, am I wrong (laughs) in what I'm saying, which is the guns fell silent Christmas morning. They all got into no man's land and shook hands and exchanged, you know, pleasantries and stopped hurting each other for a day. And had a game of footy? Yes and no. So... So some yes. Some yes. And the yes is really lovely. Okay. Um, I think it just wasn't so organised as that. So, so the war started in July 1914. So, and everybody, the saying goes, was told, oh, it'll be over by Christmas, it won't be going that long. And by this point, you know, you're the Western Front, sometimes the gaps between the two sides weren't far at all and yeah you've got this no man's land quite literally in the middle and it got to around christmas time and again the lovely gray area of of human nature people were probably aware of not being home and families and all these things and because human spirit is what it is one of the best testimonies if you will yeah. that i read was um basically saying how an English soldier could hear the Germans, they had little lanterns on their side and you could hear them singing. And it very much made everything a lot more human. Mm-hmm. And it then sort of transpired that on Christmas Day, naturally, there was a bit of a unofficial truce at different points all along the Western Front. So it wasn't just one area. It was largely, I think it did happen on the other fronts as well, but definitely largely on the British one. And basically there was like meeting in the middle of soldiers from both sides. And sometimes it was simply to be able to bury the dead from no man's land. Mm -hmm. And other times it was to swap souvenirs or to chat or to share cigarettes. Um, And every so often, apparently a kickabout would happen. So So not just on Christmas day, it would would have happened other times, do you reckon? The truces were unofficial here and there throughout because right. yeah you need you know there's there was a practicality to it um but on christmas day apparently there were a few kickabouts so not just one football game but probably a few but very unofficial nothing kind of too organized mm. and nothing too so this is where the legend yeah has sort of grown from the well, fact it is fact but it is fact it's, it's obviously it's just sort of you can't uh, you can't say it in a nugget can you, you no can't. No, it was way more complicated than that. Everyone played football on Christmas Day. Apparently, there was an article about it that appeared in the Times on New Year's Day, 1915, which is why it's become kind of so ingrained in our culture, as it were, because it it really captured everyone's imagination, this idea that, you know, you can be enemies one day, but then actually 
sport brings everyone together. Yeah. And in that moment, every, everyone came together. And I think uh, there's some evidence and a few letters and things like that that kind of suggested if it wasn't an official football game, there was a bit of a kick about. Now, I found it really interesting because it's a little bit like, why, why even were there footballs? Hmm. at the front in that time yeah it's not first thing that goes in your bag when you're being sent off to war no no and it was a combination of like because it was young fit healthy men who were signed up and everybody had to be enlisted so it's almost like that was that was a national pastime then it still is now Hmm. it was quite a natural thing but also there was a lot of uh, prisoners of war used to play football sometimes if they could because it kept them busy and active the, oh yeah um and then also apparently a lot of captains and leaders in the army were told that it's good for morale if you play with your men and it also helps with leadership and that kind of thing so actually playing football during the war was a huge thing which would explain why there were so many footballs knocking around on the front yeah. lines and it was just one of those things that i think it was quite spare of the moment that you know it's christmas day and everyone's been fighting for months and it's all a bit dark and grim and just on that the spirit of the day yeah these truces some became more it does show a lot that they don't want to kill each other they no. don't they're obviously being they're following orders and yeah i, I know i'm so well, this, being so a bit this is the thing emotional where, about it, but they didn't. They, you know, if you can go and share a game of football and swap cigarettes or food and little gifts and things, I mean that now I might be quoting the Sainsbury's advert a bit too much, which was <laughs> I'm sure they get giving each other chocolates and stuff, but that's and they did exchange presents, didn't they? I think. Um, is that, I, I think again, it wasn't technically a present. It was. It was a souvenir or like, you, you know, you're, you're chatting to somebody completely different. And also because traveling then isn't like what traveling is now. So it was a little bit more exotic, maybe to meet someone from a different country. But a lot, didn't a lot of Germans, a lot of Germans worked in London and in England yeah. at that time. In yes. Britain, and yeah. they, and they had could a bit of speak a bit of the language. So, yeah, there's a really lovely That's... account from Herbert Smith, who used to be a forward for Aston Villa. Back in the 19... Herbert Smart. Sorry, not Smith. Smart. I'm Smith. He's smart. Um, You're not smart. <laughs> you guys Rude. Rude. Um, um, yes. Yeah, so he basically was a gunner in Royal Artillery. And he wrote an account of the football games that happened. And he said it was, you know, caps thrown down and chatting to the German guy. And he was... Yeah, this one guy in particular was a waiter and therefore knew a bit of English because he had been in London and it was more, not so much exactly presents, but they would just swap little souvenirs or, right. or cigarettes or, or like these little yeah. like things to kind of... I wasn't suggesting they did the whole wrapping up thing. Secret Santa. Yeah. <laughs> so as you say, it's a bit bizarre that you are having this camaraderie with someone that the next day you're supposed to then be yeah. the enemy with and you're supposed to turn your gun on them. So the reason that this sort of... I think probably unofficially happened again and truces unofficially happened periodically purely for practical reasons. However, it was never really reported on in the same way and very sadly, it was seen as bad for business, a business being war. Right. So the officers and the higher-ups basically told the men in the trenches that you, you can't befriend the enemy. 
you mm. can't. So they really, really kind of crack down and, you know, basically threaten disciplinary action if the soldiers kept doing this. Because wow. apparently there was rumours that it nearly could have happened again in like New Year's Day, but it was very much like, no, this is a one-off, we're not doing this again. Because it, it is, you're there awfully to do a job mm. and it's that thing of when the enemy becomes human, it's a lot harder to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it follows that the people in charge don't want the troops on the ground to stop doing their job, which is... Well, and this is the thing that, that it shows. It shows that, you know, the common man generally doesn't have a problem with the other common man, mm. but it tends to be people higher up that make these decisions and put the common man in that situation, as it were. Yeah. Um, on the upside, I guess, it was about two thirds, they reckon, of the front lines that had a truce of some Wow. Form. And how, so, how long was the front line? Because it went its, all through Europe, didn't it? Um, yeah. So Hundreds at its peak, miles? it was 440 miles long. Right. The Western Front. Wow. However, 19, December 1914, it might not have been that Wasn't, far, right. but yeah, still, yeah. it's Early a long, stages of the war. Well, it's nice. It's nice to think that there is a good chunk of that that they start. There were still casualties reported that day. Still over a hundred uh, British soldiers that died on Christmas Day. Only only a hundred. Over a hundred. Over a hundred. Yeah. Um, I still, yeah. That sounds. I mean, obviously it's a hundred people, but I thought I thought there were going to be loads more than that. But yeah, it it just means that you know the truth wasn't absolute everywhere, but at the same time, but there were lives saved. Yep. That could have been lost if football hadn't been played. Exactly. We all need to play more football. There we go. And I, I was very I was very much looking at like because I just I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of like football in the First World War because it it impacted in so many different ways. And obviously there were a lot of footballers that were on the front lines. Mm. But also a lot of the munitions factories back in the UK that were staffed by women at that point while the men were away, uh, they all had football teams. So they would all be playing. And there's, it's really lovely. Like in the Imperial War Museum, you can see photographs of these women women's football teams. Nice. And they were doing really well and they would play and they'd have these cups and leagues and everything. And then in 1921, the FA banned women from playing football yeah. in leagues and what have you until 1970. And there's no real rhyme or reason for it. It looks something to do with like they probably, the FA couldn't make money off women's football, so therefore, and they, they decreed it to be unladylike. So they I mean, heavily said no. But yeah, all I mean, these... How, how do they know that not, how, if you can make money off men's football, why wouldn't you be able to make money off women's football? Um, it was something to do with the women's tickets. Basically, the money went to charity rather than to the FA. So therefore, right. because they weren't... Even more commendable. Well, so actually, charities were making money out they of actually it. Got Let's more, stop that. And they actually got more bigger Jeez. crowds than the men did. Ah. But, and so apparently it was, it was potentially part of it that the FA couldn't monetize this in any way because right. of their own... I mean, this is all on the record anyway, isn't it? I mean, obviously recently yeah. women's football has been going from strength to strength. Yeah, so, definitely. And that's come... I don't think I knew that they banned it, yeah. actually banned it. Yeah. For that amount of time until fairly recently. 
Yeah, I didn't realise it was 1970. Yeah, that's crazy. Kind of seems wild. Um, mm. But yeah, so they had all their their football teams back in the UK as well, and it was just it was kind of like if you were doing absolutely nothing else to keep fit and healthy, everybody was playing football, and you know kids would be out in the street, and and it was a very easy, cheap way to have some fun and get in shape, and you know all these things. It still is today, but I just find it so. So fascinating. There's also a photo in the Imperial War Museum that is, they reckon it's like a German Stein kind of glass. And it was given to one of the captains in the German army. Uh, it's just like a little basic one. Um, but they reckoned because he he led his team to victory in one of these truce yeah. football matches. And he beat the Brits. So they... they Gave him so this he got a cup. ceremonial. Yeah, it's like so a- he won the first first international football competition. Germany won it. Yeah, what a surprise! <laughs> Some things Some never things change. Never and also, correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like such a lad thing to do of being like, "Here you go, here's a here's a cup, <laughs> mate. We won." Well, yeah, I mean... He's the ultimate lad, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you want to put something on your mantelpiece, I guess. Um, yeah, because I found... In, I, I mean, it might surprise you, but I read a couple of things about this. And I found that there was some... There was a game recorded in somebody's uh, letters from mm. the front back. And they actually put the score down as 2-1 to Germany. Ah. So... So, interestingly, that in the few accounts that I have come across... It's quite tricky to verify a lot of them because that they're not. Some of the accounts are only accounted for on one side, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you'll you'll hear about it from the British side, but maybe not the German. So then they're like, right. "Well, did that really happen? Was it like that? Was mm. it not quite?" So yeah, it's so separate th- propaganda, I guess. Well, I always think if it's a personal letter, oh. it's so unlikely that they'd be doing that for. I mean, they might exaggerate things, but well, I didn't. I mean, again, I again, this is where I'm. I might be getting the, mm. the world wars mixed up, but weren't letters, if, the, if somebody was posting letters from the front, mm. would the powers above, you know, like the officers read those letters to check that there was nothing going in them that could be dangerous? Or am I, have I just watched too much Second World War films? Where yeah, they go, I, I would say... You can't write that. You can't say we're, we're going to make a move on the enemy on Thursday. Because uh, if that gets into the wrong hands, they they absolutely would say that. Yeah, well, you haven't said which I Thursday. Don't, I don't think you could police it. Like, I don't think anyone was sat there. No, fair enough. Reading all those letters or anything, but I think it, you know, it was highly frowned upon. Yeah, I also wondered if on the truce on Christmas Day mm. did they kick off at three o'clock? <laughs> Is that where that tradition came from? <laughs> that's where the three o'clock kickoff comes from, <laughs> and that's why you can't televise it. <laughs> I don't know that doesn't make sense um, so where are we up to oh yeah you. I've completely thrown you off because you were talking about corroborating different accounts from the different sides maybe yes so that's why it's very hard to prove but it does appear that you know there was definitely a few impromptu games and there's definitely just little mini truces here and there and in the spirit of Christmas and everything there were kind of you know swapping of souvenirs and that kind of thing however it probably wasn't one big game mm. but i kind of i love more and well, it involves I, more people doesn't it if it you think involves, of it just one big game with yeah 11 aside which is not obviously yeah. practical 
in those circumstances. <laughs> 22 people would have gone, all right, and then a few people sort of milling about. Yeah. But the fact that on this 400, 500 mile front, mm. more people along that front will have made contact with their enemy and had a truce, more people will have been involved in kicking football around than having just one game. So that's actually a better way of looking at it. It is better. And hundreds even, of people. And even the people who weren't playing football, they a lot of them would have been just hanging out, having a laugh. And, and actually, I know it sounds incredibly insensitive, but I mean, because it was a truce and yeah. things were so hard and so grim well, for bond, a few hours in one day. Yeah. Involves and, and that that was both the wonderful thing and also the dangerous thing because, yeah, the superiors were very much like, this cannot be encouraged, this mm. cannot go ahead again. And I think that's why if those things did happen again, it wasn't as well publicised and it wasn't as well because the enemy needs to be the enemy mm. in order for people to go and do what they have to do. It says a lot. And I like the idea that football actually had such a massive impact in yeah. the World War. It was, in, it was such an integral part of of you know recruiting people they would go to football teams and be like we want your healthy young men to mm. sign up and you know the munitions factories having their own teams and, and everybody that's brilliant that yeah um i mean it's such a cliche but it does back up that fact that sport brings people together and yeah. shows common ground and the fact that you can talk to what is supposedly your enemy mm. And find you have a lot in common. Yeah, mm. and I've always found this. This is not the same because it's not war. But you know, when you go to another country or another part of the world or anywhere where you don't necessarily even speak the same language or something, as soon as you know that somebody, because I am into football, mm. as we both are, if somebody is into football, I immediately have something to talk about and can bond with somebody about it. Yeah. Like obviously, if they're not into football, you find something else, but. Yeah. I like the I, fact I that... I feel food and sport are <laughs> the two things that kind of transcend language. Do you mean the pies at football matches is your One of my favourite things. Yeah. Absolute favourite thing. Bovril at, at half-time. <laughs> Can you still get bovril? Yeah. Can you? Like, well, maybe not Oh, What, at a football ground? Yeah. I mean, I'm going back to the 80s, I think. Yeah. But anyway. When, when I was really poorly, my mum sent me a survival kit from the north that included Bovril. Wow. Can I, I really want to delve into this. What else was in the survival kit from the north? Well, A, it came in an LFC club <gasps> carrier bag. Don't give away our allegiances. <laughs> I mean, LFC. I don't know what that stands for. Could that be... <laughs> Luton. Luton. That's our Luton town. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is north. For Londoners. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go on. No, I, I want to know what else was in this survival kit. Bovril. Yeah, there was there was Bovril. There was a face mask. <laughs> because, you know, you, you may be ill, but your That's, skin... Because so you be... don't want to be identified as somebody who drinks Bovril? <laughs> no, no, like, like for you, like a clay... Mask oh, one of those. Not not a no, not no. a not a COVID mask. No, like right. like uh, like because you know you may be poorly, but your skin is still going to be on point. I got you. So I feel like we should sum up and draw conclusions on our discussion. So based on my preconception of what happened on Christmas Day, I would have said that was you know the, all the guns fell silent. There was an organised football game that became you know, very well known and widely accepted that that's what happened on Christmas Day in 1914. 
And the lovely part is, we're not far wrong. There seems to be reports of various football matches and definitely truces and a lot of swapping of stories and, and tokens and this kind of thing. I think the main difference is it wasn't just one big game, but probably a few kickabouts all along the lines. Um, and very basically the big thing is very unorganised, very impromptu, but in a funny way I think there's something even more lovely about that. Yeah. One of the reasons we chose this subject was because I was telling you about the farm, the track, not the farm track, the track by the farm <laughs> called All Together Now, released in 1990. Yeah. Uh, which I said, well, you know, it's all about the Christmas truce from 1914. Which I had no idea. Never, never joined those dots. Mm. It's one of my favourite favorite songs and uh, always liked it because of the football connection. Um, and yeah, from the farm, Liverpool band, Peter Houghton wrote the lyrics and yeah, I'm so surprised that you didn't know that it was about no man's land because they literally say in no man's land. Yeah, see when you say it like that, it all seems very, okay, okay I've missed a thing here, but yeah. genuinely I think I was just a kid dancing about to a song. And wasn't that wasn't is no bad thing thinking about the war, you know, <laughs> as a kid, you weren't thinking about the war. Let's just so just to clarify, you weren't thinking about the war as a kid when I was dancing when you that song, no, right? No. Fair enough, I will forgive you for that. Just, just while you picture yourself dancing around as a kid to this song, yep, do you not really pay any attention to the lyrics? I, I take pride were... in listening to lyrics and songs normally. And I, looking at your face, I say normally, but apparently in this moment I did not. I mean, I mean, it's there, there's there's nothing even. What's the word? Uh, cryptic. Cryptic. It's not. It's not very cryptic. Um, for example, remember, boy, that your forefathers died, lost in millions for a country's pride. Never mention the trenches of Belgium when they stopped fighting and they were one. There's a second verse, and then it goes, all together now, all together now, all together now, <laughs> in no man's land, together. So admittedly, they don't go, oh, we all had a kickabout and play football on Christmas Day just for Jill, no. just to clarify exactly what was going on. But that's pretty on the nose. It is that's, pretty on the nose. Uh, um, it's it's been, me, that one. It's been re-recorded for, you know, Everton did it in, uh, well, I can't remember what year. Was it 96, 95, whenever they won something? And the 2004 Euros, it was mm. re-recorded. I don't know if it was in England specific. Anyway, wow. it's football related and uh, yeah, great song. See, learning something new. Every day is a school day. I first heard that on a bus coming back from France on a skiing trip. Less said about that, the better, probably. <laughs> what um, goes on tour stays on tour. Yeah. Should we have a little bit of music to introduce to the fact? Mm -hmm. Let's assume that there's just been some music. I was going to sing. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't. Please. We need a sting for <laughs> no. the... We need a theme for Chew the Fact. No one like needs to, to hear me sing. Audition for that. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so Chew the Fact. This is our weekly little 
challenge, should we say, where I, one of us each week has a, takes a turn to come up with, a, you know, one of those little party facts that you, you know, you're trying to show off at a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. And you go, that's, oh, that is how I show off with my historical facts. Fact, I'm the life and soul of the party. Make I would be, I, I'd be fodder for that. I love a good fact. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, if it's okay with you, I'm happy to go first. Okay. As the uh, and I'm fact gonna, provider. I'm going to chew your fact around in my mind and decide yeah. if it's true, if it's If you false. can chew in your mind oh, yeah. rather than like, your mouth. Like a, it's interesting. um okay so i have dined out on this for like years and i saw it on a tv show which was the origin of the phrase tips when you tip somebody or tips and it comes from the old coffee houses back in london obviously in that very specific time period known as back in the day ah the day yes and uh people were often going to coffee houses because the people were sober there and would be able to uh, give good advice about how to uh, invest money or what to do. And one of the things that was happened, that people would just be there for a long time. So if you wanted your coffee quickly, you would pay extra and put these money in a little, in, put your money in a box that said TIPS, which was to ensure prompt service. And therefore, people would get served quicker. And it was the why you got your hand up. I, Smith. as, as the, the fact chewer, <gasps> I'm just going to say that would be to ensure, not to ensure. No, to ensure. Well spotted. Proper service. This is where, so I was not aware of this until I was sat in the pub telling my mate the same story and he said exactly the same thing. So is that, is Simple, that, so it's not true? It is not true. And is that the why? We have been, it's been, the fact has been chewed mm-hmm. and spat out. <laughs> and spat right back out again. Yeah. I don't want to think what the opposite was. <laughs> I don't know what... I mean, swallow a fact. Yeah, can you swallow the fact? Anyway, on this occasion, you have <laughs> spat That's the next fact week. out. We'll worry about that next week. And um, so, the real explanation of where it comes from is, I, get, I mean, it's still fairly interesting. But again, in the 1600s, so what era was that? Is that yesteryear or back in the day? That's definitely it, the day. That's, that's, that's day. Back the day. That's back in the yeah, day. Yeah, that's the day. Okay. What's weird is sometimes I say back in the day and I'm referring to about five years ago. <laughs> um, the slang word, so the, there was a network of thieves and criminals who would have their own language and little codes and things to pass information to each mm-hmm. other that the general public wouldn't understand. And right. one of them was tip, and that was literally just meant to give or share. So if they were sharing something, it was just the word tip comes from that underworld sort of language of criminals. Apparently, this is again open to debate as anything from the 1600s could possibly be. Yeah, there's only so much we know. But there we go. I couldn't pull the ball over your eyes because you can spell. <laughs> so you win that's one nil is that does that mean one nil one nil so cool. we'll see who wins at the end of the series and whoever whoever loses has to do a forfeit there's going to be a forfeit well, what would that be we can we've, we've got nine got more episodes to think, to <laughs> think of the forfeit <laughs> oh no now i'm going to really up my game and make them really hard <laughs> and 
Well, that's it. Is that the end of our that's the end of our first inaugural episode, episode yeah. of What the Factual? Thanks for joining us, everybody. I've been Jill Smith. And I've been Pete Moore. And we'll see, see you next time. See you next time. Get in touch at whatthefactualpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, latterly known as X, at whatthefactual. Or on Instagram, at whatthefactualpod.com.